we're, as Sherry mentioned before, we're continuing our series called Be Strong, Standing Firm uh, Against the Devil. And uh, week after week, this week, we're going to be talking about the very last piece of the armor that's a defensive piece. Next week, Dean Donovan from Concordia Academy is going to be preaching on the sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive piece of the armor. So you don't want to miss that. But just to bring you up to speed... Um, I want to look up, take a look at our original verse that we started with so many weeks ago and take a look just to, to, to kind of wrap up the defensive side of why does God give you and me an armor, and it's his armor that he gives to us. So we've been in the book of Ephesians. That's where this illustration of the armor of God comes from, from Paul. Now, the church in Ephesus, the reason Paul is writing this is that the church in Ephesus back then was this massive city, it was, it was a, a big city. It was very prosperous. It was the center of travel and commerce. It was on the seaport. So not only did major, major roads connect into Ephesus and beyond as a distribution center for many uh, industries, but there was also a seaport there, which back then a seaport was very key for commerce and uh, for uh, market standards and things like that. Uh, it was very, very wealthy. There was a theater there that housed 25,000 people. I mean, even by today's standards, that's a big auditorium. 25,000 people could sit in this big theater. It was wealthy. It had a massive, massive library, which if you know, you know, they didn't have printing presses back then, and and so they would amass these books. So it was just very, it was just this huge, massive thing. But Ephesus of that time, that city, was mainly known for uh, demonic worship. There was a, a big temple there to the uh, goddess Diana, and it was a center hub of demon worship of the day. If people wanted to, to kind of go all out and debauchery and all that stuff, that's the place that they would go. So citizens saw this great uh, temple in Di- of Diana as this magnificent thing. The Apostle Paul then is preaching that God cannot be made by hands, by human hands. Got him in a whole lot of trouble, if you know the story. They brought him into that massive amphitheater. The whole town emptied out. We're going to kill him. And, and one of the government officials said, oh, you know, it's just this, it's a fascinating story. Now picture this little church, little group of people trying to worship a God who is the God of the universe, not made by hands, and trying to, to tell people about the hope that is, is there, not all these things you have to do. And this little church is in the epicenter of demonic activity. They saw it all around them. So Paul, that's why he's, that's the background. That's why Paul is writing this letter. At the very end of his letter in chapter 6, as we have it, Paul writes this to them. He says, a final word. This is kind of the last parting words. And anytime, you know, you want to get your last thing in, it's really important. He says to them, be strong in the Lord. That's where we got the title of the, the series. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How many of you know that we have a certain amount of power in us, but it's not worth, or it's not strong enough to fight the devil? Be strong in his mighty power. Put on all of God's army so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against what? Flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers, mighty, mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly 
heavenly realms. What we've talked about over this last couple of weeks, you and I, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And we have an enemy that is relentless. And what's interesting about the, the armor of God that we've been talking about, if you think about the armor of God, for those of you who have been here, there is not a piece of armor for your backside. You know, it's not like Paul wrote and said, hey, take the cushion of buttocks and, you know, something like that. You know why that is? Because God doesn't want us to turn and be afraid. God wants us, in the battle, in the evil, he, he wants us to stand firm in the armor that he gives him. We face the battle. We don't turn from the battle because we have his strength with, with us. So we've been processing that question. If we believe this battle is real, which we do, and we believe that we've been given the armor of God, which we have been given, how do each of the pieces protect us? The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of, of peace. Today we're talking about the helmet of salvation, and that's actually what it pretty much looked like back in Paul's time with the, the sheath on top the, and the, the two things around to protect the head. That's why the helmet is so important, as Sherry said. It protects this thing up here, your brain, this, this mental capacity, because up here is the central, grand central station where everything happens. This is where you choose. This is where you make choices. This is where you decide. This is where your strategy comes from. This is where you think. I mean, think of all the instances that there are helmets. Football, bike racing, auto racing, motorcyclists, bicyclists. People wear helmets on construction sites. Firefighters wear helmets. Soldiers in the field. You know, football players, like I mentioned. How many of you, I don't know if, if you get this, but when I'm watching football and occasionally... During a, a big play, you, you, all, you see a helmet go boink, 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 boink. You ever see that? What, it, what happens inside of you? Exactly. It's, you're like, oh, oh, you know, because you're just waiting for some guy's head to get smashed in, right? And usually when you find the guy, if the play is still going on, he's like right in there, you know, head, he doesn't care. But that's, that's why the helmet is important in, in the sports arena in every battle. Because in the battle, you can hurt your arm. You know, you could have your arm cut off. You could have your leg cut off. I'm actually thinking of Monty Python right now. Um, but, um, or you could, even, you could take a blow to your torso, and you could still... <laughs> I lost you at Monty Python. But you could still... You, could, you, you know, if your head is, is hurt, you know, you get stunned, temporarily at least. And I, I found this out in a real way. When I was in high school, you know, I was the, I was the kid that was kind of a fringe kid. I, you know, I wasn't popular really. I'm just, I was just sort of there and had my group of friends and things. And I was his, sitting in history class. Didn't get into fights, but I was sitting in history class. And I remember this vividly. Right on this side, I kept seeing this bigger guy look over at me and then look back. And I could see it. And I wasn't going to look at him. And so he keeps looking at me and you know, I kind of look at him one time, and he's just glaring at me. And I'm, I'm thinking, do I, how do I, what did I do? I didn't even know the guy's name. It's just like, oh. So I'm walking out of history class afterwards, and I'm walking out, and from this side, all, I can re- see it right now. I can remember his face coming right here, and I can see him like this and go like this, and that's the last thing I remember. He just, out of the blue, just right on the side of my face, and I, I, that, 
so that's the last thing I remember. I was stunned. I l- kind of come to, and I see him standing over me like this. And then it was kind of like slow motion. The teachers are like, whoa, you know, and they grab him and all that. And when asked why he did it, you know, do you know Todd Stalker? And he goes, no, I just hate that kid. Like, <laughs> you know. And I was like, it hurt. You know, it explains a lot today, you know, with the head thing. But it just, it, I couldn't believe it. But you get that sense. You know, you lose your bearings um, of what happens. Paul, the Apostle Paul saves this helmet as the last piece because it's the most important. So in Thessalonians, Paul talks about this helmet a little bit more. And he says this, Let us live in the light, be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence, which another word for that is the hope, the joy of our salvation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have joy. You have hope. You can have confidence knowing that you're saved. Satan ta- Satan's tactics are to accuse you. It's like last week with the shield of faith. He tells you that, no, God couldn't love you. Yeah, you said you're a believer. You think it's? No, it's not true. That's what, God, that's what Satan tells you. But in Christ, the helmet of salvation says, no, 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 no. You have no claim over me, Satan, because I know I'm a child of God. There's nothing that you can do to me that will take that away. I'm a child of God, and I'm going to heaven. And one thing you need to know is your faith is not a feeling. Your faith is not a feeling. I was having, having breakfast with somebody one time, and we were talking about heaven, and they were questioning if they had been saved, if they were really a Christian. And they weren't sure. They said, I know, I know the story. I know that Jesus died on the cross and rose for me. I know that I'm loved. I, I, believe, I think I'm a Christian, but I just don't feel it. How many of you know that emotions can trick you? There are days when you feel that the world is completely, the world and God is completely against you. Students, I know you've had one of these days, especially if you're in junior high and higher. Um, You've had one of those horrible days at school because she said that about you and he did this to you, and you feel like you've lost all your friends. You might literally be sitting at a lunch table just by yourself. And then you come home and your parents are fighting again and you get yelled at and you have no idea why. You pray to God for peace and to make it all go away and it just keeps happening over and over. You feel like it will never end. Well, listen, I'm so glad that God does not say, for it is by grace you've been saved through feelings. I am so glad that when Jesus healed the woman who had been bleeding for so many years that he didn't send her away and say, go, your feelings have made you well. While feelings, you know, they drive us, they're awesome, that's how God created us. Feelings give color to life. They're not your faith. They're not your salvation. You can be saved and feel crappy the rest of your life, but you're saved. Feelings change, they're shaky. And in those struggling times, you have to be clear-headed, as the verse says. And remember, God hasn't abandoned you. Paul goes on and says this, For God chose to save us. He chose, not you, nothing you can do to earn God's, love, God's favor. It's all from him. He chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. God is holding back his anger from us because he loves you so much, because of Jesus Christ. 
There was a time when Jesus was born, he was a little baby, and there was a history or a, a tradition where you would take the babe, the newborn baby, you wouldn't speak his name publicly until they were, well, back then it was dedicated at the temple, and, and there were a lot of churches that when we had, had the baptism, they, they actually wouldn't say the, names, the baby's name publicly until they were baptized. So the baby, Jesus, is taken to the temple, Mary and Joseph do, and there was this old guy there, his name was Simeon. And he, he recognized this baby, and he, he knew right away that's Jesus. He knew that was the Savior of the world. Goes over, he takes Jesus in his arms, and he prays God, and he says something very, very cool. And if you come from a Lutheran tradition, um, and I believe it's in the Catholic tradition as well, part of our liturgy is Simeon's song, the Nunc Diminis. Um, and it says this. Simeon says, um, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> You're lucky. But he says this. Lord, now let your servant die in peace as, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nation. He's the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus came to give a dark world light. That's what the next verse says. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. He came and, and took your place so that you can have life, so that you could be free. Yeah, I was reading about, there's this guy named uh, Leon Brown. Love that smile. <laughs> uh, he was convicted at the age of 15 of raping and murdering a young girl. Even though there was barely any evidence, he just happened to be in the area, and so he was convicted and put in jail in 1984. That was when that guy decked me, by the way, as that year. Senior, I was a senior in high school, 15 years old. Now, if you're older than 15, think about what your life at 15, okay? He was in prison from the age of 15 to the age of 45 on death row. 30 years. He was just released last year, 2015. 30 years on death row. What happens to a person who's on death row that long? That long? I mean, don't you just start giving up? You're like, you know, I'm innocent, but nobody's believing me and ah, all this stuff. The reason he was, he was released was because of the whole new DNA testing. They tested the evidence, and sure enough, he wasn't the guy. But yet he was there, 30 years on death row, and then finally released and set free. Now, the difference between Leon and, and us is that for us spiritually, we're guilty. We're, we're on death row, if you will, because of our sin. Romans 3.23, all of us have fallen short. All of us are de declared guilty because of sin, the sin we're born with. But Christ died so that you can be free. You can be free. Many of us Christians say we're Christians, but we're just living a life of being in prison. We're not living in the joy. We're not living in the happiness. We're not living the, the, the powerful, the power-filled life that God came to give us. So you are free. Paul finishes up the verse then by saying this. So, and he tells us what we're supposed to do. Encourage each other, build each other up, just as you already are doing. No soldier goes into battle alone. That'd be suicide, wouldn't it? You're not in this spiritual battle alone. And that's why I love our church. That's why I love us on Sunday morning, everybody talking and, and kind of like 
you know, joining together, pull chairs after the service. I mean, it's just fun because we're all connected. We have a care ministry headed up by Linda Hartung as the deacon and Pastor Tim because we care for each other. We do the battle together. We encourage each other. If you're not in, we have a small group ministry. One of the things, and um, I'm going to mention this, uh, Megan, uh, a friend from uh, the church that I started in Arizona is here today. And um, one of the reasons I just, I think back of on Summit Community Church in Arizona so fondly is because of small group ministry. The larger that church grew, is growing, the smaller it's growing by being connected with other people outside of Sunday morning. Whether that's in our small group ministry, we're going to do the first of the year, ministry year in the fall, we're going to do a fantastic sermon series called Pressure Points on how, what to do with the pressure that we feel when things change and the struggles that we go to and how does that drive us deeper into our relationship with God. We're going to organize church-wide small groups. We've done this in the past. And if you're not in a small group now, I'd encourage you, watch for the stuff, sign up. You, you don't have to lead, you just have to connect. But if you want to facilitate, sign up for that. You'll hear a lot more about that. But that's how you grow. That's how you do this verse. This is how you do the Bible, by encouraging each other in the faith. So what's our call for us today? Remind yourself every morning that you're a child of God. You're a child of the king. The war is over. There's battles right now, but the war's already been won by Jesus. Imagine what could happen if every morning you reminded yourself that the enemy has no claim on your life and no claim on your family's life. Imagine how your perspective would change if you, if, if you knew that there was nothing that could defeat you today. Imagine the confidence you'd exude every morning if you began your day claiming that you're a saved child of God and that the wicked enemy has no power over you and that you are, as what God says in Deuteronomy, that you are above and not beneath. You're in front and not behind. You lend to many nations and you seek and lack nothing because of what Christ has done. He gives you salvation. I just want to close with one one comment that a commentator wrote that I think is really good to wrap up this, this idea of the helmet of salvation. He wrote this, Our salvation in Jesus Christ generates the confidence of eternal life, and the confidence of eternal life protects us from rash, emotional, and wrong decisions. Salvation gives us God's perspective. Salvation focuses our decision-making with the end of the journey in view. You know, if, you, if any of you have ever read Stephen Covey's stuff, he's a, um, uh, a business kind of guru, um, Seven Habits. You know who I'm talking about for some of you. But in his book, one of his key things is start with the end in mind. It's a good way to plan. It's a good way to do strategic planning. What is it that you want? What's the vision that you see? Start with that in mind. The vision we see is heaven and the joy and the glory of that. Start with that in mind. Start your, end your journey, or make decisions based on that end in mind. Salvation keeps our heads sane and serious in the midst of crazy and turbulent world. Salvation gives us God's perspective on life, not the world's perspective, and that perspective keeps us out of trouble. Salvation keeps us from getting knocked out when we get knocked down. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we do not lose heart even though our outward bodies are wasting away, our inward bodies are being renewed, what? 
every single day because of Jesus. That's your faith. That's your salvation. Jesus Christ died and rose for you so that you can know with confidence that if somebody were to ask you, hey, if you're going to die, if, if you, for whatever reason, were going to die today, where would you go? Do you have an answer for that? If you were to die today, where would you go? Because of what Jesus did, you can confidently say, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in heaven. If you don't know, if you can't answer that in confidence, we're going to close our our message with with a prayer that hopefully the Spirit will be able to, to reaffirm that in your heart, that you can acknowledge what God has done, what Jesus has done in your heart. And if you want to talk to me or Sherry or anybody uh, else, just let me know. Let us know. So we'd love to process that a little bit more for you. Your helmet of salvation is given to you because God loves you and you're worth it and you're valuable. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. Lord God, in your name we come to you thanking you for this, this really cool picture of the armor that is yours that you give to us to fight the battles. God, I want to pray right now for those of us who are confident in our faith. Lord, help us to encourage each other. Help us to find ways. Um, maybe, you know, we, we are here at church on Sunday mornings, but that's just about it. Help us to, to be able to um, seek out other people, not only in our church, but in our neighborhood, to bind together, to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. And Holy Spirit, I, I just want to pray for those folks here in the room or listening to the podcast that don't know for sure, this whole faith thing and, and, and this Jesus thing and all this stuff that, that uh, we've been processing. Lord, help them to see that because of your son Jesus, their sins are forgiven. The barrier is broken down and that they have free access to you, which was your ultimate goal in the first place. Give them hope. Give them peace. Help them to see that, the life, that life in you is far better than life in the world. Lord, we love you. We praise you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said,